This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. Welcome back to The Forging Table. The mission of Undaunted Life is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. At The Forging Table, you'll see a group of regular guys forging spiritual resilience by digging into God's word, and we're welcoming all of you to come along on that journey with us. We got a bunch of veterans here, but a new crew, kind of a new mixture of crew here. We got mm-hmm. Zach, we got Winkler, and we got Caleb, but guys, there's something that we need to celebrate. Okay. Now there are moments in a man's life, you know, the, the first, when he moves out, uh, his first home run, first time he has sex with his wife, not like, like normally, uh, or maybe what our buddy, uh, Matt Grassmeyer yep. of the forging table, he got to baptize his son yep. this morning. Yep. So yep. congratulations. What an incredible, incredible thing. Yes, sir. And maybe we can debate whether or not you should ever let anyone baptize your children other than you. Maybe we can go there. But Caleb, my man, Caleb walks in this morning with a Bible with his name on it. For those of you watching out there in TV land, it actually says your name on it. And if you haven't been listening to The Forging Table for any length of time, every other time you've been on this show, you've had a wife that said Shannon Martin on the front <laughs> of your Bible. And so what what was the deal? Like, did you just get this? Like, did, did, did we finally, like, this seems like a big deal. Uh, it's not, actually. This, Bi- this Bible's quite old, but it's tiny. So I like her larger Bible. I'm, I'm going to try and but- avoid the... I'm going to try to avoid the obvious here and say that it does kind of look like a woman's handbag. Yeah. <laughs> it does have like a latch on it and it's very, what is this maroon? Yeah. Yeah. Does, that, it, that, does it come with a shoulder strap? That's what I want to know. It is very cute. Oh, is it? But the thing is, is for today, so you're going to have to read all of the Bible passages <laughs> out of this little thing. I don't have a magnifying glass. I don't have anything. Are you, are you prepared to do that? That be a problem. Okay, yeah, does we'll everyone see. at the table have a Bible with their name on it that's like real people-sized? I don't think mine has <laughs> has my name written in it, but I don't think Written it has, in it? Yeah. Okay, Zach, you got on it. You got, you got like a fancy Bible. Oh, you got one in front of it. Okay, so we've got the full gamut really covered here today. So congratulations, Caleb. I got that coming. <clears throat> it's on the way. Well, what, well people crossway out there that are just <laughs> listening to this, they don't know what that is. So how about you tell them what that is? The Crossway Journal Bible. Guys, I just got to tell you. These journal Bibles are amazing. Yes, they are. Because like, again, so I don't know what it was like for you guys, but like even in college, I could not take a highlighter to my textbooks. I could not write in it because that affected the resale value or whatever when you sold it back to the bookstore for, you know, pennies, uh, whenever you had to pay like $800 for like the intro to psychology book. But these, it literally has every single book of the Bible on the left side scripture, on the right side, just blank journal pages. And I just bleed ink all over these things. Yep. I think most of y'all like you bought the set. Mm-hmm. Matt has a set. Ryan has a set. Bought a set. You bought a set, Zach? I don't have a set. Why are you the only one? Why do you have to just stick out and be like the only guy that doesn't do the thing? Come on, do the thing. I'll tell you why. Um, I used to take handwritten notes like that because I don't like to put anything in my Bible either. But in traveling, I had my briefcase stolen with all my notes. So I went digital because mm-hmm. I lost everything. So I'm hundred percent digital. That's why. Okay, so whenever like society falls and yeah, the grid yeah. goes to crap, yeah. you're going to lose your yeah. notes again. I'll start so. writing in my Bible at that point. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Like well, we should be a sponsor. What's that? We sold a handful of those. No doubt. Should well, reach out. Okay, well, you know, we'll actually do our little crossway commercial here at the beginning, even though it's not actually uh, a commercial, because again, guys, we have partnered with with Crossway, and we don't get a dime for, for this setup. We just wanted to do something that would be of major benefit to you guys. And so a lot of people have reached out, hey, I want to start my own forging table. What do I need to do? What do I need to buy? And so I worked with Crossway to put together that set right there at the end of the table. And so you guys can check that out. That is the forging table starter set. It includes five books. And they are the ESV Men's Study Bible, new this year. The Book of Romans scriptural, Scripture Journal Edition. So it's like this. It's like these little journal Bibles, but it actually has the ESV Study Bible notes, the commentary there at the bottom. There's also a book called The New Morning Mercies by Paul David Tripp. That's a devotional. The Beauty and Power of Biblical Exposition by Douglas O'Donnell. He's been on the show before, but this gives you an idea of the different types of writings that are inside the Bible. And then a book by the one and only Vody Bauckham, and that's Family Shepherd. So all five of those books together would cost you a pretty penny if you were to buy them on Amazon or whatever. But you can get that entire set for 50% off. You can buy every single one of those and you can get any one of the versions of the ESV Men's Study Bible that you want. So you can get the leather one, you can just get the regular hardback one. It's a super, super easy process on this guy. So it's just a three-step process. You go to crossway.org and create your free Crossway Plus account. Make sure you register your account as well. All this will be in the show notes, guys. So if you're driving, don't worry about it. Just check it out later. You just need to put all those 
books in your cart at once. The links to the books are in the show notes as well. And then the third step is just use the promo code BSSP50 to get 50% off at checkout. That is Bravo Sierra, Sierra Papa 5-0 to get 50% off at checkout for that stack right there. Guys, whatever tools you need, like I'm, I'm the guy that's like, Hey, you don't need anything fancy. Just get it done, right? Like, Hey, you don't need to, you know, go to the fanciest globo gym. You just need to find a tree with like a horizontal limb. And that's where you're going to do your pull-ups. But when it comes to Bible study, I don't care. Like for me, all bets are off. If getting these cute little journals uh, is good. If you want like a, a purse Bible, like Caleb has, I don't care. Whatever you are able to get digital, digital written, you know, if it's on tablets, I don't care. Get the scripture in as much as possible. But today we are digging into Matthew 15. And so Caleb, if you can find it in your heart and in that little thing that you call a Bible, if you could please read Matthew 15, one through nine, I cannot wait. I'm going to act oh, I don't have my oh, phone. I wanted to take a picture while this was happening. It's double column too. Look okay. Oh no. It's, how, how can you get wow. two columns on that? Wow. You're going to make me read through nine. Yeah. Right? Mm, okay. You're reading the whole day. So just get right, ready. But yeah, go. Matthew 15, one through nine. All right. Here we go. Then some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And he answered and said to them, Why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, Whatever I have that would help you, have, you has been given to God. He is not to honor his father or his mother, and by this you invalidated the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. Prophesy of you. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doc- doctrines the precepts of men. Yeah, there's a lot here. Uh, I guess the first thing we should probably talk about is what, what were the Pharisees and scribes trying to do here? So when, when we talk about the Pharisees and the scribes or the Sadducees, you know, throughout the Gospels, like, I guess oh, I'll just speak for me. I'm like, these guys must have just been hanging around. You know, like anytime you watch that after school special about those people that are going to try to get you to smoke cigarettes, they just happen to be at that street corner where you're waiting for the bus. So that's where it kind of seems like this is happening. But this was likely a formal investigative body. Yeah. That was sent there like on a mission to yeah. do this. So this wasn't just like a haphazard thing. Like this was part of the plan. Yeah, this is this is the equivalent, like the the words when they Jesus from Jerusalem, when they came to him from Jerusalem, this is this is the equivalent of like the FBI showing up on your door instead of the local police. I mean, hmm. it's a bigger deal. These guys are here to try and disrupt what he is doing specifically. Um, because they have a whole lot of problems with the following that he's been getting. I want to come out of the gate. With something on this right Fire away, let's go. So this kind of hit me for some reason, like it hasn't before. When they start asking these questions, the very first thing he does is he says, and why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? Question mark. And so it's, it was interesting that he comes right back with this question. So I want to just look into that for a minute. And what I found in my research, if this is true, I think it is, it says, um, Jesus is asked 183 questions in the Gospels, and he responds directly only three times. So 180 times, he responds with a question, a parable, an illustration, indirect statement, or silence. And he's recorded asking 307 questions in the Gospels. So if we just take that for a second and think about it, it seems like he liked to answer questions with questions or with parables. And he would try to challenge and stretch the people through those circumstances with, with how he was responding. So how often do we pray for answers, right? And in this context, perhaps we should consider that God will respond with something besides direct answers. Perhaps it's a question or a circumstance or people that stir your heart or challenge you to do various things in your life. You know, you've heard if, if you pray for your humility, maybe God puts you in a situation that will make you humble or give you an opportunity to demonstrate humility and so forth. So I just thought it was really interesting to, to think about that for a minute, especially as we start you know, the next couple of chapters and, and read through these because he does it every single time. And how is that impactful around us in our everyday lives? Well, let me open that up for the rest of you guys. In times where you've been in prayer or when you just feel like God talked to you, just however he talks to you, whether it's through your gut or through your brain or whatever, have you ever had a time where you feel like you were getting a question back? Because as you were describing that, it's like, I feel like I knew that intellectually, but it was like to hear you kind of Bust it out. It's like, yeah, of course, that's how he communicated all the time. And it's a great 
you know, sales tactic. It's a great relational tactic to answer difficult questions with other questions. Um, but I can't really think of a time where I felt like I got a question back. Is that something that's ever happened for you guys? It hadn't happened for me. I mean, honestly, every time I felt like I've heard from God, it's been pretty, you know, it's been a command. It's, it's more of a, you know, I have this hesitation towards doing something. And then there's just this voice that's basically shoving me forward or, you know, I don't want to share something. I don't want to talk about something. And then, you know, I always describe it as like, I feel it like from my toes and there's just this shove that just is like, this is coming out of you. Like, this is not going to be something that you get to hold in. Um, you know, I've said it before, but there's this whole thing of, you know, when you are tempted to hide, you should share. When you are tempted to share, you should hide. And, and the idea of just taking that humility of, I'm not going to talk about this because, you know, it would be shameful for me when it's like, well, but you should confess that. On the flip side of that, it's, you know, I want everybody to know how great I am because of this thing. It's like, no, just keep your mouth shut. Like, there's no reason to, there's no reason to talk about that at that point because you're, it's self-aggrandizing, it's prideful. But for me, it's always just been more of a, do this. You need to do this. Mm. Now, sometimes it comes off as a riddle. Yeah. (laughs) A lot of times it does. Yeah. For me, anyway. Yeah, you seem... You seem like you're really confident that you've heard that direction, which is, I mean, I think pretty awesome. I think that's probably something that I struggle with more than anything else is trying to be discerning about, you know, what, where am I being compelled to go and is that the right thing to do and all of those types of things. But you, you seem pretty confident. Maybe irrationally so, I don't know. <laughs> but I mean, it's, I don't know. It's just something that, I mean, it's, it's gone on for a very long time. I kind of know the signs. It's generally surrounds like I'm weighing something on, I don't really want to do this. And then there's this voice that just kind of comes in and says, you need to do this. Well, that's, that's the way you communicate. Like, yeah. so cocksureness is like a good thing. Mm-hmm. Like if you're given that as a gift, like. Cause someone, we were talking to a group of people yesterday and there were like three or four people that came up and spoke and they were so sure of themselves. Mm -hmm. And I was one of those people. And it was like, for, for some crowds that's like, Oh, that's kind of, that's, that's kind of offensive. And it's a little bit abrasive and it's a little bit too cocky. And it's like, yeah, if it's fake, like if it's manufactured, Mm -hmm. but like, think about the people in the Bible that were like that. Again, they were cocksure dudes and they were like, those are, you know, the prophets. John the Baptist. Yeah. John the Baptist. These are people that are vipers. Right. And (laughs) that's like when you're, if you're pulling off the pin to a grenade and getting ready to throw it, that's not a subtle process. Like, and you better be sure where you're throwing it. Mm -hmm. And so that, that's a helpful thing thinking through this, this chunk of scripture as well. But also just when I start to feel, feel pharisaical is when it's like, I start looking at the rules because I'm great at following them, mm-hmm. right? I, I, I like to challenge why the rules are even there, but if you put the rules in place, I'm going to do it. But there's obviously, every time you see these people, they're so focused on the details, they're so focused on the law and their tradition, um, and it, it's constantly getting in their way, and it's causing them to blind themselves. Because it's like you're, you're missing the fact that prophecy is being fulfilled before your eyes, and it's because of what you're focused on what's so great about this passage too is just the way that jesus responds with how the how the truth exposes right um in that i mean they they think they're always trying to trick him right or like i'm gonna we're gonna corner him with this question or that question it's like oh yeah but what about this Mm. what about how you know you all give and give and give to the lord um but you can't even take care of your own father and mother because of it right you know one um a lot of people don't really understand like this part of the scripture, but uh, ultimately this would be like you saying, Oh, I would totally care for my, my elderly parents. I would, I would care for them here in my home or I'd pay for them to be in a community close by. But you know what? I've dedicated that money. That was earmarked for you guys for the Lord. And so I'm just going to go ahead and, and let that be how that money is going to be spent. And so that's what Jesus is referring to when he's going back to these people, because it was really a diabolical thing that they were doing because they were full of crap like that, like that they didn't dedicate it. They did that so they wouldn't have to spend that money because here's the thing is they didn't give the money to the church and then look at their parents and go, oopsie daisy, you know, pockets turned out like I can't pay for this. They kept the money. Right. So they had it in their possession and were able to use it and did use it. But when it came to mommy and daddy, it was like, eh, you know, 
tough luck. Right. Yeah. It's just a rough, rough thing, but indicative of how we treat these circumstances a lot. Oh yeah. I, I, the other thing I was going to talk about, I want to talk about in these first nine passages here is, you know, there's a lot of talk about tradition and I do think that we have a tendency to maybe get locked into certain traditions, maybe even before we came to Christ. Like there's these certain things that we just go and do. I have, you know, maybe I have a, a trip I go on with my buddies every year, or, um, you know, maybe my family likes to do this one thing, um, around the holidays every year and we get locked into it. And then you should have this, you know, once you commit your life to Christ, there's this transformation that should occur. And there should be an evaluation of the traditions that you are holding dear and saying like, this is something that I commit to doing. I mean, it's, it's how I, it's what we do around this time of year. It's how things are done. And there's an evaluation I think that has to be done after you commit to your, commit that following to, uh, to following Christ. Once you get to that point, you have to start evaluating these traditions on whether they are actual godly things. And those traditions can include like the relationships you had before you came to Christ. I mean, look, there are very old friends of mine. I still talk to them. I still have a relationship with them, but do I still hang out with them like I used to? Absolutely not. Mm. It's too difficult to do. Uh, They are not on the same walk as I am. And it does come down to, you have to find the people that are going that you have to surround yourself with people who can actually help you with your walk. It's still okay to go out into the world and say, be that salt and light to those same people. Uh, not saying that you have to completely withdraw, but you know what? If you have a tradition that every time somebody goes to, you know, gets married that, well, the tradition is we go to the strip club and we get drunk. You can't do that anymore. Right. You're not, a, that's not being an ambassador for the faith. Well, and that's something that I find just a, sh- a little short yeah, detour, and then we'll get right back onto this. The odds of everyone at this table being at our funerals, like if, so let's, if we all live to you know, life expectancy, the odds of us being at each other's funerals, well, for one of us, you got to be the first to die, so you're not going to go to anyone's funeral. Dibs. But like, it's, it's, not, yeah, it's, not, <laughs> it's not high, right? And so some people look at how I look at friendships, and they're like, man, that's kind of a kind of a rough, like cut and dry way of thinking about it. Like I've had friendships that were 25 plus years that basically went, went away for some Mm -hmm. of the same things that you just described, Jake. And people are like, well, aren't you emotional about that? It's like, well, no, I got to have a a friendship with that person for 25 years. Like I wasn't going to be friends with them forever. And some people are like, oh, that's too utilitarian. Like you're, you're using people and you just want people for certain seasons. That's like, no, people just have seasons. Mm -hmm. People move. People get different jobs. And the thing is, is like as much as you wish for your life to stay the same, if your circumstances change, it's like, what are you grasping onto? And like, that's not super helpful. And if you're trying to build a foxhole, it has to be with people that you are actually accountable to. Mm -hmm. So if you have your boys, you know, from high school or your frat brothers from college or whatever, but if you don't even live in the same community as those people, if you need an accountability partner because you have a problem with porn, Mm -hmm. like having those guys be that for you, like you're not they're not consequential to your life anymore. You don't even live in the same city. That's right. That doesn't mean you can't connect, but go ahead. Yeah. So I I agree with everything that both of you guys said. Um, For me, after I gave my life to Christ, that's one of the big like pronounced things that happened is certain people went away and new people came in. Yep. And it just happened. One thing I'd say about that is in today's society, it's difficult to maintain relationships for a long period of time because people move around so much Mm. because modern society enables that. Lots of studies have come out, including one from Harvard that demonstrated that one of the key factors to a successful life, like a life that you feel satisfied with, they followed a group of people for like 50 years, uh, was actually long-term relationships. So putting yourself in circumstances where you can have those is tremendously important, but you only have the capacity to do that with so many people. I think about 150 is how many you can maintain some sort of contact with, but to have deep (coughs) relationships, it's going to be very few. Well, now like the number, so that's the, you know, number of people that you can talk to and know their name and remember the kids' names, but it's more like 12 yeah. is like the number yeah. of people that you can really dedicate to. Right. What an interesting number. Like let's look at the number of <laughs> disciples uh, that were called. Yeah. And like, that's, 
That's what sociology is telling us. Like one yeah. of my favorite things that happens every year is when sociology catches up to the Bible. Uh. Not your Bible, Caleb, because <laughs> no one can read this. But like, <laughs> like it's so interesting when that happens because it's like, oh, you're telling me right. one of the best uh, outcomes for a child is for them to grow up in a family uh, with a mother and a father, siblings, yeah. and uh, attending church. Shock of all shocks. Like, you know, it's just kind of one of those, those interesting things. So, well, and hopefully like when you, I mean, maybe last word on that was if you have those long-term relationships, hopefully, hopefully it's because you're both growing yeah, at the right. same rate or similar rate. Or, or maybe even just in the same direction. Exactly. Like, so maybe you're on your, your Christian walk and someone's also on that walk, but they just suck at it and you're better at it. Well, mm-hmm. like, you know, you kind of have a rabbit to chase or something, but like, if you're, it doesn't matter what rate rate you're growing at if you're growing in opposite directions. Right. You know what I mean? There's a lot of people that have been friends for a long time and they're the same as they were. You know, I mean, yep. like there may be a you know group of your high school buddies or whatever, and it's just like they were in high school doing the same stuff. Yeah. One of the two like popular sayings, like you'll be the same person in five years that you are today, except for the books you read and the people you meet. Mm-hmm. And then you're the average of the five closest people around you. So try to average up. Right. Oh, and I've, I've said for a long time, you should always look at who you were five years ago and be at least somewhat embarrassed. Yep. Wait, I, be, I thought that That's I read no books like that. I listened <laughs> to that pastor, like, mm, you know, okay. those types of things. Cause whenever I look back five years ago, I was still listening to Andy Stanley sermons every mm. week and getting a lot out of it. And like doing those types of things like five years ago, there were different <laughs> physical modalities that if I were doing them now would be very deleterious to my body. And so it's like, gosh, I can't believe I used to do that type of stuff. But it wasn't because I was being risky then it's because I thought it was the right thing to do. And so that, that's all a good word for you guys when it comes to your relationships, but also just your personal development. And, you know, think about Bible study, like just this one year, right? And I know we're spending a lot of time on this first section, but this is important. Remember why we started the Forging Table, guys? Because in 2022, I read 54 books for the podcast. Mm-hmm. Gosh, I'm just a genius, right? Oh, look at me. Like I'm reading all these books and it's so fancy. And I did not read 54 chapters of the Bible. Yep. And over Christmas break, I was like, like this is a major, major issue. We need to throw this completely out of whack. So this year I haven't done a perfect job, but I'm going to end up reading 40 ish books, but it's spent a whole lot more time on the word and just seeing how my mind has changed since January of 2022, when we started this thing to where, where I'm at today. Like I can't imagine five years from now staying just on the forging table train, like having something to study the scripture for. So I don't come here and, you know, to make a fool of myself, yeah. it's already like changing and molding your brain and how you think about situations. Yeah. And I, I mean, to the point on the books, I was actually having a discussion with Matt Grassmeyer the other day about, you know, we we're in a book club, we read these books and, you know, everybody's like, well, I have a problem with this. And, you know, most of them are all, you know, faith-based. It's, it's, we're trying to develop ourselves uh, faithfully and, and pursue a, you know, pursue that walk with Christ. But I, I said in the chat that I was like, look, Every one of these books is going to have a flaw with it. Every single one of them. Because Matt Grassmeyer says, well, you know, I have a problem with the way that they use scripture here. And I was like, well, every one of these books is going to have a flaw of it. We have the perfect book already. Mm. We already have it. We're reading all of these other things. And if we're not spending time in the word, I mean, we could read all sorts of things, be led down the wrong path, not see anything that would be heretical. I mean, you know. Yes, to the five years ago embarrassment. Yeah, I read Andy Stanley books. I mean, and it's like, I'm sure back then, I, because I was not spending as much time here, there's probably plenty that I was taking out of those books going, oh, that's, like, that's deep and meaningful. Right, and, change Andy my life that way. Yeah. yeah, Andy wouldn't lead me astray. No. Uh, well, I think we know better now. Well, one last thing, and then I'll be quiet on this, but one thing that hit me as I was preparing for this is it, it kind of interrupted the time that I spend on my typical Bible reading, which is trying to read through this whole thing, a certain period of time, all that. And as a result of that, I definitely got this sense that I was spending my time because there's a lot of other things happening right now, just preparing and not using it as an actual prayer time. Like this actually hit me. And so I've tried to be very diligent about breaking this up and praying about it as I would with my normal time uh, getting prepared. So. I guess just as a personal example, if you are doing something like this, make sure that you're doing it because this is an actual living book, not just like a normal book that you would read. This is God talking to you. So spend the time praying and, and doing all the things you ought to be doing. Well, and there's, there's something to that, Zach, going back to this section in verse six. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. Yep. You can make a tradition out of reading some pretty dope books that aren't the Bible. There's a stack of them right there. There's one Bible, there's one Bible journal, and then three books that are not scripture. Mm -hmm. They got scripture all the way through them. 
But I had lulled myself into this tradition of reading biblical books. But I also had this bad habit of whenever they would have that little, you know, indentation and then like a short, you know, scripture, you know, here's four or five scriptures in a row. I would just skip it. Oh, I know that scripture. And then yeah. I would go back to the meat or whatever the author was saying. It's like, dadgummit, like <laughs> what, I'm skipping the point. Yeah. Like imagine yeah. watching a movie, but it's like, no, I don't want to see the conclusion. I just want to see the buildup, mm-hmm. right? Like you're skipping yeah. the point of what you're reading. Well, C.S. Lewis says, or Spurgeon says, I used to do that. I read every one of those books. Right. What is he saying about what? Like read the actual source. Yeah. yeah. When it's, it's great to read Spurgeon sure. and Lewis yeah. and Kierkegaard and G.K. Chesterton and, 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 and. We have a book list on our website, the 100 books every modern Christian man should read list. You know what's not on there? The Bible. Not because the Bible is not the most important book. The Bible's a library, right? And yeah. so if you are you already know the Bible thing, I'm trying to give you other things that will help you kind of be a well-rounded man in modernity into where you can be equipped to be able to push back darkness. But again, in this situation with the Pharisees, this investigative crew, they were they were focusing on tradition because that's where they thought they could nail Jesus. Yep. And Jesus was like, "No, you're focusing on something else, not the actual point." Let's get into this next next section. For me, this next section of Matthew 15 was probably the the most potent. So, somebody with a normal size Bible, uh, if you would like to read uh, verses 10 through 20. And he called the people to him and said to them, hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. So with this, and I'm, I'm keeping an eye on the clock because we have, we have other sections here that I want to get into, but I feel like we need to break this down like into little subsections because there's so many little points here. Uh, so verse 10, and he called the people to him and said to them, hear and understand. It, and then in verse 11, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Okay, so let's just camp there for just a second. I have seen people use this scripture as an excuse for I'm going to eat whatever I want and God can't tell me any, any better because that's not going to defile me. Right. Or you know what? I got this email just a couple of months ago. Uh, instead of exercising and focusing on my diet, I'm going to spend more time in prayer. That's what I'm going to do. And I'm like, let's just say I believed you. Let's just say, and I have my doubts. It's like you're cutting off years of prayer you know, all things being equal because you're not caring for yourself and caring for your body. And so that's just something that, that stuck out to me. I don't know if y'all have, y'all have ever heard something like that. This isn't like a popular thing in modernity, but I've certainly heard people use that, that they want to focus on the holy part of it and be like, you know what, I'm just going to be holy. And then don't look at me as I, you know, drink my milkshake kind of a thing. <laughs> have any of y'all heard that? No. Zach, why are you looking at me like a disappointed father? I mean, it's a real thing. I'm, I'm over here <laughs> thinking, like, why was Kyle staring at me the entire time? I wasn't. He was going through that? I wasn't staring at you. I gave equal time to everybody except for Caleb because he's kind of to my right and I can't exactly see him when I talk in. But before it gets any more awkward, I want to know where the judgment's coming from, Zach. You're looking at me like you're disappointed. What? It's not what? you. I'm just listening to the, you know, your, oh, your, what? Your, what you're contending with. Whatever. Okay. Yeah. Then verse 12. Then the disciples came and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended? Hilarious. I literally wrote LOL over offended. It's like, you mean people that are professionally offended by everything got offended? No way. Mm-hmm. And when they, when they heard this saying, he answered, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. Mm. And, in, and then first, verse 14, let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Like he's basically saying, well, not basically, he is saying the Pharisees were not planted by God. And I think about people, we just mentioned Andy Stanley. And again, I don't want this to be a dawn to life of man's podcast to turn into Andy Stanley sucks hour, but you know, it's these people that have not been rooted by God. They will be pulled out. They will be rooted up, not planted by God rather. And so that's kind of cold comfort for me a little bit to where it's like, you know, I, 
I told people when I, I talked to a guy today who in my Sunday school, whose daughter goes to one of Andy Stanley's churches and they are just torn to pieces about, it and they don't know what to do because they want to keep the relationship with daughter and grandkids and you know, the whole nine, but they're terrified for mm. how they're being marinated. And I said, look, you should have two prayers. Number one, that Andy Stanley repents for his behavior and the things that he said. And number two, if he does not, that he should lose his ministry I, for him to be rooted up. And I think that's an okay thing. Some people, again, seems a little rough, but like th- that this, this is comforting to me that these people that drive me so nuts that have such big followings that are potentially leading people down the primrose path to hell, that it's okay. Mm-hmm. It's going to work out in the end. Yeah. Well, and three, that they could just find another church. Right. Yeah. Cause they, they could they're get in out. control of that now. That would probably be a big one. I've had this discussion recently with some close family members. And I think the one thing that stuck out to me, cause they were describing their experience trying to find churches was just the, of the ones that they mentioned, nobody was just going through the, the books and reading through the passages. It was always, as you say, you know, a Ted talk sprinkled with Bible verses kind of a thing. And I'm so sheltered from that, given our local church experience that it's kind of alien at this point for me. And when I hear them say it, I'm like, man, the whole sermon that day was just around how much money they'd raised and, and what their plans were without having any sort of meaningful, you know, biblical um, message. So, and one thing that I think is important to this uh, real quick, Caleb, one thing that they, that I think is important to this is there are expository churches that will periodically take breaks to do things that are topical, mm-hmm. that are pertinent to something. For instance, during the Thanksgiving, uh, you know, time period of, you know, the last time we had Thanksgiving, our church did like a one week thing on like Thanksgiving. You know, if you're hitting the Proverbs, that could be something you can kind of pop into and pop out of. Mm -hmm. But for the most part of the 52 sermons delivered in a year, 45 of them roughly are going to be expositorily going from chapter to chapter, you know, from verse to verse through chapters of different books of the Bible. What were you going to say, Caleb? I don't remember. But, Dad, um, going Kyle, <laughs> idiot. Okay. But I mean, uh, you know, even like a, a deviation from whatever we're going through because some prophetical thing happened in the world, mm. right? You know, that it's like to take a break to talk about, okay, here's what everyone's thinking about. So we're going to talk about it and how it relates to scripture. So, yeah. I mean, I totally agree. Like you'd end up, if you went to a church that wasn't that way, it would, it would stick out. I mean, you'd see it from, yep. you know, you'd be five minutes into the sermon and say, what's going on? Well, and shout out to Mark Hitchcock, who's the pastor of our church, because he's big on end time stuff and revelation. And when Hamas attacked uh, Israel, it didn't matter what was the plan and what it was going to do for the the schedule for the next calendar year. He talked about that. Mm -hmm. And he he's not a lighted up guy. He's just not. He's very even keeled. He's very consistent. He's very predictable. He lit it up that day mm-hmm. not by screaming and hollering and banging his, his you know hands truth. on on everything it was just truth bombs yep. on top of truth bombs and that was the same week that i taught sunday school and it was kind of interesting because i taught on the same subject matter and i went really deep into the the depth of the depravity of what happened during that time period and a lot of the nuggets of information were immediately echoed by him once we all went into the service and so that was kind of good that it's like okay there are ways to deal with a situation like this that don't involve you know covering your eyes and plugging your ears which is nice um one other quick point on verse 14 when it says let them alone that this is like the abandonment of god as a form of wrath so that's what um, John MacArthur said in his commentary. And this is similar to Romans 1, 18 through 22, where it's like, give them over to their own sin. So he's like, hey, man, if, if the blind want to lead the blind, let them. Let them mm. fall into that stupid pit that I put there just for those little idiots. That's kind of what, I mean, God's probably not going to say it that way, but it's just a translation, Zach. Okay, stop looking at me with such disappointment, okay? But hey, this next section here, this is good for people that are dumb like me. Peter's like, uh, explain the parable to us. <laughs> And this is one of those opportunities that we get to read the scripture as if Jesus had a personality because he did, he responded. And this is how most people would read it. And he said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? Do you think that's how he said it? Everybody out there? Cause that's how it's read. But I like, it's like to think of him as being super sarcastic right now. You know, he's like, are you, are you kidding me? Is this like, still is happening? This real? Right. It's somewhere like, between probably like, sarcasm like showing him. Right. You know, it goes down in your st- <laughs> so. when I use these words, this is what they're meant to right. portray to you. But like he was somewhere between sarcastically frustrated to just outwardly frustrated. Like, am I still, are y'all still not getting this? 
And so that's just kind of as a as an aside here. I love whenever you get the personality of Christ when you're reading through this. Right. It's just interesting to me that he spends so much time talking about sort of spiritual things, right? Things that 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 originate on the inside and come outside. It seems like in our tangible world, that's kind of given you know second thought. Whereas in his uh, it seems like what he talks about, it's always that first and then followed by whatever the physical, tangible, tangible thing is, including when he's healing people. You know, your, your sins are forgiven. Okay, if that's not enough, now you can get up and walk kind of a deal. So we'll talk more about it later, but it's, it, it, it's something I've been thinking about a lot recently. I think, I think what we're seeing here is Jesus was far less concerned with the surface level of the law, like the external things, the things that you're going to actually show and do your works, if you will, uh, from the former Catholic in the, in the group. Uh, he's much less concerned with that. He's much more concerned with on the, what's on the inside. He's more concerned with, I mean, the, the theme here is the centrality of the heart in your walk with Christ. If the inside is rotten, it does not matter what you do on the outside. It's going, I mean, just like fruit. The inside is rotten. It doesn't matter how pretty it is on the outside. The inside is rotten. You can't, and you may not be able to see it, but it's there. Well, that's one thing for the community that, that we're in as well is we go to a pretty church. Yeah. I will say that there are a bunch of good looking people. We got <laughs> models like this guy here to my right with those baby blues and that wonderful winning smile. That's why they don't let and, me come. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No ogres at our church. Jake. We have like a height risk. It's like, uh, no, like, we have a very well put together church. The families are, are well dressed. Mothers and fathers are well dressed. A lot of the moms have had work done. And it's like, we all look great. But it's that exact thing that I try to remind myself of because I will get lulled to sleep by the amount of put togetherness that's around me. And I try to be authentic. But at the same time, the number of times that my wife had been at each other's throats in the car, in the parking lot before we get out so that we can skip into church and, hey, how's it going? What? Oh, we're here to worship <laughs> yep. the Lord. Yep. And it's just kind of like that. That's where the community thing, going back to those real relationships, those 12 or so that you have in your life. It's those people where you can sit around a fire with a cigar and a drink or at a restaurant or at, around a Bible study, your own forging table, and to be able to just lay it out there and be like, here's an enormous mistake I made here recently that is incredibly embarrassing. Yeah. Here's a tremendous sin that I'm still you know, reckoning with or, or focusing on or needing to get better at. Um, so a, a couple of quick things here on this section again, and I know we have more uh, in Matthew 15, but in verse 18, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and this defiles a, per- a person. What this does ultimately lead to is a discussion about cussing, right? Mm. The types of words that we use. Now, I have heard every argument there is about cussing. At least, I hope not because I'm still confused about the issue. Because you can't go to the scripture and find a list of words that are unable to be spoken, Yeah, right? You know, you have what is it, the... the FEC or whatever that controls the words you can say on the radio or the words that you can say on television and those different things like, okay. And if you say too many of these words, now it's an R rated movie there. There's all that kind of stuff. And by the way, that's not a Coors Light. That is a Jocko go energy drink being popped by the Winkler right now. But I, I don't know what to do about cussing because I've been around devout Christians that are in the word that are praying all the time that cuss like a sailor. I was around yeah. one last night. He's a firefighter, uh, for, uh, in the state of New York. And it's just like, he's, he's Italian and he's Irish. And he's just like, these are just the words he says. And then there are the people that are squeaky clean. They don't even say sucks. They don't even say gosh, darn it because gosh, darn it means something else that is <coughs> blaspheming the name of God, like those types of things. I don't know what to tell a young Christian or a new Christian about this. And uh, I haven't heard a, a compelling argument from somebody about why they should or shouldn't, what words are acceptable or what tonality they should use. I mean, I guess I always, my perspective has always been, why are you saying them? I mean, is this coming from, you know, because to me, it's like, I don't know that the words themselves are sinful. I mean, if you just said one just randomly out of context, like uh, as an example, oop, oop. as an example, what, <laughs> well, <laughs> which one's he going to use? Drum as, roll, as, as a fun little, as a fun little game, as a fun little game, um, there is a word like the French pronounce seal as the F word. 
Okay. Like, literally. Like seal like the animal? Yes. Like, okay. Uh, yes. So. Like, look at that little yes, seal. Yeah, it's exactly. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Biggest mistake I made was actually sharing that with my daughters because now they're like, well, you know, well, look, this is just, you know, this is just a seal. I mean, I'm, <laughs> you know, wrong. but the, the idea, like, I mean, I'm going, okay, well, I'm, let's say I'm over in France and I see a seal and then I say the F word. I don't think that the word itself uh, is going to necessarily be sensitive. It's why am I saying it? And where is, where is the heart in that matter? It's the same thing I think, think here when you talk about is Jesus more concerned about the external or the internal? Okay, let, let me dig into that just a little bit. So let, let's go to the word that is the most persona non grata word in modernity, and that is the N-word. Insert Louis C.K. joke. If you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. But um, I have used that word before in a very specific context, and I've talked about this before, but in my dormitory, we had a debate in our lobby about the use of that word in all of its forms. The hall director, whom I happened to work for, I was a senior RA, there were eight RAs underneath me or seven, and then he was he was my boss. He was a black man. Shouldn't be relevant to the story, but it is. So we sat in a group with probably a couple of dozen students and we we talked about that word openly. And several of us used the the fullness of that word to talk about the etymology of the word and where it came from. And there were several people of color, scare quotes, that were in the room and nobody was offended that the word was being used. No one was being called that. No one was being pointed at and they, they weren't using it with the hard R or the A or any of that type of stuff. But then there are people that have literally lost their jobs for doing the same thing in a, in a modern college, describing the etymology of a word or just saying there shouldn't be words that can't be spoken, right? Mm-hmm. This isn't like, anyway, so there, there's that, that side of it. That's the extreme side. But then let's take the F word. Mm-hmm. If you're like, God, that effing sucks. Or you stub your toe and you scream the F word. Or I effing hate that guy. Or you're mm-hmm. an effing moron. Mm-hmm. Where is the line on each one of those as to how it can be used and when it, it, it goes over the threshold of sinful? Because you, you could be like, that's effing amazing. You baptized your son. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I, you see what I'm saying? Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't really know where it stops, but Zach, go this ahead. Is, this is written several thousand years ago, right? right. What Kyle just said. Right. <laughs> I just effing baptized my son. So the amount of the amount of transformation and language and intent and all the, you know, the meanings behind the words has changed, you know, thousands of times but it's still relevant. I was reading Proverbs, I think yesterday, and one passage that stuck out was something around, and I can't, I couldn't find which one, but I could look it up later. But it basically amounted to uh, the way that you speak could either be like sword thrusts into a person, or it could be used to build them up. And obviously it's saying that we should be building people up. So when I think about it, I don't go to the specifics of the word. You go to the intention behind the word, like you're saying. Yeah. And what the, the context is, I mean, Christians were freed. They weren't, they didn't have to adhere to whatever the ceremonial, you know, f- food situation was and all that, but it does say, try not to offend people around you. So I don't know about the specific words. I would imagine that if you're in certain circumstances, you could probably say some words and you know that you're not thrusting somebody, but if you say it around grandma or something like that, you probably are. Hmm. And then you kind of built in this, this sort of self guiding element to this. You'll know when you're crossing a line more than likely. I mean, it's got to be the heart behind it. Yeah. That's, that's the only explanation that actually makes sense. Right. You know, and I mean, even like you're saying, like based on the audience, you know, even, even the N word, like you're talking about in certain groups of people, it means something totally different. Yeah. Right. You know, it's like, I mean, in a, in a certain group of people, they're doing a certain thing and someone says it and it's totally acceptable. Oh, right? I mean, so, walk, walk the streets of London and ask someone like, Hey, can I bum a fag? Like, yeah they're not talking about a physical act. They're, mm-hmm. they're asking for a cigarette. Right. Right. And like that, that's just kind of a common thing that if we hear that right now, we are going to get whiplash turning around to be like, Oh my gosh, what's there's literally about to be gay bashing happening, mm-hmm. but it's just the context of the language. But I, I want to dig into that a little bit further. Cause I'm kind of surprised by, by your, the way you describe that Zach, because um, this, this would probably be a year ago now, but there was a story of this gay married couple that adopted these two young boys and they were systematically uh, whoring these boys out to their other pedophilic gay friends and raping them themselves. And there were messages that were part of the court documents where, you know, this guy is texting one of his buddies and he goes, Hey, I need to go F my son real quick. I'll holler, I'll holler back at you, that type of stuff. And so I was 
for the sake of covering the content, I was going to use the exact words that were in the transcript and I was not going to sanitize anything, mm-hmm. right? And I have not broken the F word barrier on my show at that point. Right. And so I asked a couple of people that I thought could soberly, because I knew the people that were going to be like, yeah, freaking say it, man. I knew those yeah. people. So I didn't go to them. I went to other people. And so one of those people was Zach. You're not like the gung ho guy. You're like the, the quiet con- contemplative guy. And you advised me and you said, no, I don't think you should do it. I don't think it adds to what you're doing. So if you say the actual word, or if you just say the implied word, I don't think it, it gives any, any less or more oomph. I completely disagreed with your standpoint, but for whatever reason, I just rolled with it. I made the decision that when I got to that point of the show, that I was going to make the decision in the moment. And in the moment, I chose not to use the words. <coughs> and so of all the contexts to use something to point out the depravity and darkness of man, that would have been one to use it as opposed to some other flippant thing. So help me kind of connect maybe where you were in terms of giving me advice back then to where you, what you just said. Cause I'd like my grandma to recommend your podcast. She may be listening, you know, just as a quick answer. Mm-hmm. I don't think that the word specifically in that context was going to add any value and her understanding of what you were trying to communicate. If you're in a private setting with a group of people where, you know, they don't, they're not going to be offended by it. I think it's probably okay. This is just my opinion. I'm sure people have a thousand opinions, but I, I stand by what I said then and I think that's why, just because it's, it's relative to your audience, which from your perspective is relatively unknown. Does your grandma listen to my show? I don't know. She might. I, I have a feeling she'd be out on the metal uh, right at the very beginning of the show. You never know. <laughs> she could be a metalhead. Some of these grandmas <laughs> she might get down. She might. She'll be in the pit and her, with her walker and tennis balls yeah. and everything sitting on there. Okay. So does anybody have anything else on the cussing thing? Because again, I've, I've, you know, I, we didn't come up with a, a clean answer on this either, but it, it's just I, something that I, I think I about a lot. I don't take it to cussing so much as I do, because I know this can be hard for some people. I do think that we're supposed to be building people up with our words. Right. And not necessarily tearing them down. Sometimes, sometimes it's constructive criticism. And you, can, and you can tear people up and down and have zero cuss words. Smile on your face I mean, as kindly you know, as possible. Like, oh, yeah. You don't have to. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the thing that you know, I think about, too, is like if, around our kids, it feels different. You know, like we should also say, like if if I'm at a football game or wherever I am, and someone's just you know lighting it up behind me, like I might ask them, right? Um, I don't know, just throwing that out there. I I think, I think that's absolutely the correct context. I remember when I used to work in in New York City, and I'd worked this, this place for like six months, and you know we're at some party and people had, had a few drinks, and one of the guys goes, "God, I've never heard you say a cuss word. Well, you think you're better than us or something?" And I just kind of go. Cussing's kind of indicative of a lack of vocabulary. Yep. And I just kind of left it there because this guy was kind of a douche. And so I wanted to embarrass him because he was trying to embarrass me. So that that's what I did at the time. But that's kind of the thing. It's like, if you, some people will default to, you know, vulgar language, what we would all agree would be vulgar because they don't have a, a grasp on, on vocabulary. They don't have a grasp on how to create a statement that doesn't have to go there. So it was, but, a, it was a sword thrust, but without a cuss word. Well, whenever I went back at him, <laughs> it's like, I was basically like translation. You're a moron. I'm smarter than you. That, like that's basically what that was. Um, the, the other part I want to talk about here and, you know, we can spend as much time as we want on this, but this is Jesus's words again in verse 19 for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, fault with false witness, slander. So to the Carl Lentz's of the world, to the Christians in the world that said, you know what, I'm a red letter Christian, as if the entire Bible's not red letters because of the triune nature of God, but leaving that aside. And then when I search the red letters, I don't see the word homosexual. I don't see the word gay. I don't see the word lesbian. I don't see the word bisexual. I don't see any of that. So you know what? Jesus didn't talk about homosexuality and homosexual relationships, so I won't either. Breaking news for you guys, the ancient Galilean Aramaic language that Jesus used was way more descriptive using less words than the current English language that we have. The Greek that it was recorded in or the Hebrew that it was recorded in, you could say in a few sentence or in a few words would take sentences in English today. In sexual immorality, 
in the words that Jesus spoke and in the words that it was recorded in, everyone in the audience would have recognized what he meant by this word. The ancient Greek word is porneia or pernia, which talks about homosexuality, bestiality, basically any type of sex that is outside of the covenant of marriage between one man and one woman for life. And he separated that out into its own category. Right. Adultery. Right. Right. So he's talking about everything else. And that's, that's really a, a fantastic point. <laughs> and so if you're wondering, guys, I, I think make notes in your Bible how you want to. I think this is a big highlight, big underlined thing. You highlight where it says sexual immorality there. Because one of the most nefarious things that Satan is doing in modernity is he is uh, allowing these liberal-minded folks to lift up their version of Scripture, and they are trying to convince you that 2,000 years after the fact, they have some sort of Gnostic knowledge of what this word actually meant in the context of, you know, the first century in, you know, in, in these Jewish areas. Yeah, it's, a, it's a concerted effort that every sexual relationship is equally moral. Sure. All of them. Absolutely. Right. I think that, which is that's insane. Exactly. I mean, that's, that's where they're trying to go with it. I mean, it's a, it's, it's our, it's our worldly understanding at this point and our new morality that we have established. It's not based on anything. It's completely subjective. And that, you know, 20 years ago, what was deemed completely unacceptable is now become acceptable. And now what, Where's the next stop? You know, 20 years from now, what are we going to be looking at? I think it's, I think when you start talking about, I mean, I actually wrote down in here, like even just the, you know, I've heard people talk about, you know, well, when Jesus was here, he, he hung out with the sinners. And so he would not hang out with you guys. He would hang out with us. It's like, okay, but do you think he's going to be doing everything that you're doing? No. He would have pity on you. He would want to forgive you. He would want, he would tell you to go and sin no more. Exactly. Call you to repentance. Right. And then you still go back to, again, centrality of the heart here. Okay. Sexual immorality. And, and I'm, I'm going to link it back to this whole cult of kindness. Why are people basically equating this? Well, it's not immoral anymore. Well, because I want to be nice. Right. And be seen as winsome. Yeah. And my, my, I mean, my wife, we, we started calling it, it's the cult of kindness. And I will, I call people out. I'm like, no, you sit here and say that, well, I'm just, I want to be kind. You should just be kind. I think I said this on a previous podcast. There is nothing kind about allowing people to whistle their way to damnation. There's nothing kind about that. They don't even, they don't even mean kindness. They just mean agreement. That's it. You know, cowardly agreement without opposition. Agree no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just going to affirm you. Yep. All that, things are equal. You know, all faiths are equal. There's different paths to God. No, there's really not, guys. There's that, really not. And that's a great thing to remind ourselves of what being loving actually means in practice. Because people are like, that doesn't sound very loving. Well, guess what? If my child, if my one-year-old goes running off towards traffic and I yell at him as loudly and as forcefully as I can to stop, to freeze, to whatever, to effing stop, whatever, in that <laughs> moment... Yeah. That is the most loving thing I can do and in the most loving tone possible. Mm-hmm. Because if I just calmly say, Elijah, buddy, I love you so much. And because of that love, I would prefer it. You know, I don't want to tell you what to do. I'd want it to be your decision. If you can stop running towards tra- traffic, that would make daddy happy. Can you make daddy happy? Right. Just think about that. Now, of course, in that scenario, everybody would agree with me. But then when we have a friend who has been convinced by the gender cult that they are not the gender that they are, that they're not the sex that they are, that they were uh, a gender assigned at birth and somehow they're different and they live outside of the gender binary now. It is not loving to be like, sure, I'll use your chosen pronouns. Pronoun hospitality, it is so nefarious. Mm -hmm. And it's born out of this cowardly affirmation approach to be like, hey, we're just going to go along to get along here. And I just... Man, I, mean, I can't be down going, with that. Going back to your analogy, I think that this is, to me, this is, again, going back to the cult of kindness, which is essentially just cowardice, in my opinion. But when you, when you, going back to your analogy, here's what I find funny. They don't want, they would, they don't want you to tell the kid to get out of the street. The kid is happy. He wants to do what he wants. Let them do what they want. Mm-hmm. And then what do they do? 
kid gets hit by a car, they get mad at the person driving the car. <laughs> right. It's like, I, I, it's funny to me. It's funny to me. This, this whole kindness movement, how, how much they seem to be unkind toward people who are trying to walk with Jesus. Oh, sure. Yeah. The, the, the affirmation and the tolerance only works one direction. Correct. Because when they're like, I just want you to be tolerant. I was like, okay, let's be tolerant. Will you be tolerant of my ways of thinking? Well, no, yours are bigoted and wrong. I was like, all right, well, suck a duck. I don't give a crap. Like, you know, who, who give, you know, is that better? <laughs> suck a duck. Is that, is that okay? Is that yeah, acceptable? Nice. I'm just going to look to you every time I say something that nice. really pushes the line. Yeah. Cause I want to say suck a bag, you know, what's, and yeah. so, you know, it's, it's a little bit better. It's the yeah. FZC over here. That's <laughs> right. You know, it depends on where the emphasis is. Okay. Um, so there's more sections to the end of Matthew 15 here. So this is what we're going to do. Cause I don't want us to, um, to short shrift any part of scripture, even though we don't have time to fully discuss it. So I do want us to, to read these last portions of scripture. I'll, I'll, I'll make a couple of comments and then we'll get out of here. So, um, we'll make sure that Caleb reads the biggest section from his tiny Bible, but Jake, Oh, actually Zach, if you can read, uh, Matthew 15, 21, through 28 we don't need to talk about why verse 22 isn't there but um let's go ahead and go into that real quick so if you can just read 21 through 28 please and jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of tyre and sidon i think i said that right sidon 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 whatever and behold a canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying have mercy on me O lord son of david my daughter is severely oppressed by a demon but he did not answer her a word and his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. The one thing I want to mention about this story, and it's unfortunate we, we've run out of time, the part where he seems to call this woman a dog, mm-hmm. people are like, oh, this seems so harsh and so mean, like Jesus was Mr. Mean Pants. So in this era, Jews thought Gentiles were dogs. They were described as dogs um, and thought of in that way. But the word that was used here, um, uh, I think the word I wrote down here, it's like canarian or something like that. It's more like little dog or house pet. And so he, he's almost talking to her like, almost like, okay, puppy, like that type of thing. And so a lot of people think he's being, people have claimed that Jesus was racist. I've literally heard, I think Shane Claiborne, that dope, like that's something that I think he has said that Jesus, you know, expressed racist thoughts and they use this scripture. It is deeply inaccurate. So don't fall for that. So that's just one thing I wanted to point out from this section. Winkler, if you can hit uh, 29 through 31, please. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the sea of Galilee and he went up to on the mountain and sat down there and great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. They put him at his feet, and he healed them, so that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, and the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. And then, Caleb, if you would not mind reading verses 32 through the rest of the chapter, which is verse 39. Yep. And Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat, and I do not want to send them away hungry, for they might faint on the way. The disciples said to him, Where would we get so many loaves in this desolate place to satisfy such a large crowd? And Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven, a few small fish. He directed the people to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and the fish, and giving thanks, he broke them and started giving them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the people. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they picked up what was left over of the broken pieces. Seven large baskets were full. And those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. And sending away the crowds, Jesus got into the boat and came to the region of Magadan. And so just with this last section here, this is probably again, 15 to 20,000 people total. No one talks about the feeding of the 4,000. Everyone likes to talk about the feeding of the 5,000. That's typically what's, uh, what's depicted. But the interesting thing about the feeding of the 5,000 is those were Jews. And this is the feeding of the 4,000. And these were Gentiles. Um, 
significance to 5,000 versus 4,000? I, I don't really know. I think everybody is just speculating. Uh, the one speculation I do like about why there were seven, um, you know, seven loaves and a few small fish and there were seven left over. Seven is the number of perfection. So we do see that number quite a bit. So if, you know, the mark of the beast is 666, the, the number of heaven is 777, that type of thing. But again, I don't want to give short shrift to all that stuff there at the end. So that's something for you guys. If you want to go ahead and dig in on your own, do that. But we're trying to keep things to a tight hour here. So there's more that could be said about Matthew 15, but we're going to leave it there. But guys, make sure you come back here next week. Prepare to hear us discuss Matthew 16. And before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. At Undaunted Life, our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. Don't forget about the forging table starter set through Crossway. All that is here on the show notes and the other link is to our donation page. Guys, if you're wondering how we can pull off things like the forging table, it's because we have monthly donors that are hopping on supporting us on a monthly basis. it really doesn't matter. We love having guys like you support this content so we can equip men all around the globe to push back darkness. So hop on board and be part of the team. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And also we want to thank the band Holy Name for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is their song Perpetua, which is off their self-titled debut album on Face Down Records. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience, keep seeking the Lion of Judah.